Welcome to the Wicked Radio Network. Welcome to Shot of History. Tell me more. Fill me with your knowledge, Trico. Fill me. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome back to Shot of History, where the his or the shots go down smooth and the history hits you hard. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Strike. I'm Stephanie. And I'm the color man, Big Dev. And Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I get a kick out of it. Um, and today, we actually have a guest with us. Uh, her name's Carly Silver. She's a historian. Um, she works as an assistant editor for a romance novel publishing house, uh, so she knows what makes a good story. And by night, she morphs into an ancient and classical history expert for About.com, serving as a tour guide for the most fascinating and effed up parts of antiquity. Whether <laughs> uncovering the origins of BDSM or interviewing, interviewing world-famous World famous famous historians and archaeologists. Oh God, did I repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just Trico. It's Trico. He can't read. So <laughs> he can't read and he can't do accents. Some of them are just super famous. Sometimes I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so really, really famous historians and archaeologists she interviews. <laughs> and uh, Carly makes the ancient world accessible, enjoyable, and downright fun with her examination of dirty, sexy history. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Carly A. Silver or read her latest investigations into antiquity at ancienthistory.about.com or historybuff.com. Welcome to the show, Carly. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited uh, to be chatting with you. I, I love what you're doing, and I'm excited to talk all weird things ancient. Sweet. Awesome. So are we. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited because... I, it was really funny when I was trying to come up with that bio, I wasn't sure, like, what do I say about myself? How do I talk myself up? Because, I mean, I think that I'm pretty cool, but, like, I also realized that, you know, like, I, like, not everyone nerds out over the same things that I nerd out over. So I was trying to think, like, like what is, like, a good kind of brand tag? And I figure, like, dirty, sexy history sounds <laughs> fun. And it's true because I really kind of, like, get my jollies writing about the weird, funny stuff that basically is like ancient tabloids. Awesome. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. It's like yeah. right up our alley. Yeah. yeah. yeah Cleopatra in a rug. Yep, yeah, there we go. Yes, and I love that. I love that podcast. I thought that the, um, the laundry basket thing was really fun, and I did not know that. And it's going to make me look at doing my laundry. I'm never going to look at doing my laundry the same way again. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dig in through the dirty laundry. Like, I know the portal's in here somewhere. Where's the portal? <laughs> no, I know. And I, I think that that in particular was really fun because, again, like, I am someone that um, I've got Latin under my belt, but Greek isn't something that I have. I don't speak, I don't speak or ever worked on ancient Greek in particular. So Sweet. Um, that's something that another, like, you know, those kinds of words can be, whether in Greek or Latin or uh, can be translated so many different ways that it's interesting to think about, you know, I don't know, rugs seem sexier than laundry to me. <laughs> it, it absolutely is sexier. Depends on whose laundry, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but think about it. Like, in terms of just, like, dirty stuff, where would you, I mean, although think how many people's, you know, 
step on rugs, although the rugs really wouldn't have been on the floor in the ancient world. They probably might have been on wall hangings, depending right. uh, <laughs> depending where you were. But yeah. probably, I think us stepping on rugs is more of a modern luxury as I look at like my Ikea carpet. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, somebody's just walking down the, the hallway and, oh, Clea's out again. <laughs> carpet yeah, carpet three from the entrance is missing. <laughs> Have you guys, you guys have seen the Cleopatra, the Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton movie, right? Oh my God, uh, yes. It's been a while, but yeah. I know. I rewatched it maybe like a couple months ago and it's so cringeworthy. It's kind of <laughs> just like, I, it's one of those things that you can't tell if it's so good, it's bad or it's so bad, it's good. <laughs> and there are, it's not even like from a historical perspective, I felt that it was so uncomfortable. It was just like, why is why <laughs> i mean there's the historical part sure but you know there's it's just like i i don't know i feel like their love story was in and of itself enough of a movie to not necessarily need that as a movie it was just like they basically just needed their own reality show they didn't really need the cleopatra movie it's, it's awesome. too bad they did not have cameras back in the day right, right. that would have been amazing imagine if elizabeth taylor and richard burton had had a reality show <laughs> i don't know i mean i feel like that's just i'm not a big reality show person but i did i have asked historians when i've interviewed them like you know would cicero be on twitter or you know who would i think like basically who would have their best the best ancient reality show and i think that um, I'm pretty sure it was Barry Strauss, who's the head of the history department at Cornell, who's written a lot about Caesar and is a really great historian, um, who said some of the effect, like, he kind of wanted, like, an all-star surreal life podcast of, like, ancient stars, so it was, like, a really, it was a really fun idea, and I feel like there needs to be more of, like, that way of thinking, like, <laughs> somehow people just need to resurrect ancient leaders and just put them all in a house together with limited, you know, internet access. If they knew how to use the internet. <laughs> <laughs> they could be taught. Yeah. Well, Witchcraft. you know what? I figured if they're so good at waging war, they could probably pick it up pretty fast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You mean I can Although communicate I with millions of people in one go? Sign me up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I actually found the list that um, Barry had sent me. I had spoken to him, was it last year, about um, he wrote this great book called The Death of Caesar, The Story of History's Most Famous Assassination for Simon Schuster, which was a really interesting book and a look into the conspiracy itself, not really as, I mean, not just Caesar. So I think I had asked him about like, was it like the real Republicans of ancient Rome or seizing the Caesars or something like that? You know, like, and he said something along the lines of um, house of dice or reality show in which the winner gets to rule an empire, but only after taking calculated risks that knock off the <laughs> other contestants, which I thought was a brilliant idea. And kind of like that new show was like American grit, but with, ancient leaders and death which is kind of a much more entertaining way to do it that's way yeah. way awesome. more entertaining <laughs> it's like ancient conquerors it. but someone dies and I mean, <laughs> like as long as like no one like living currently living is hurt i mean they're already dead so maybe it's just like zombies but <laughs> you know like briefly resurrected for the purpose of um to kill him again yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's my motivation well you're gonna die <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, again, really, again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that that, I mean, that would be really fun. I always kind of try and think of those kinds of things of, like, you know, what, 
you know, what would so-and-so be doing or thinking in the modern world? You know, it's, it's hard to tell because, you know, Cicero just would not probably ever get off Twitter. He'd be live tweeting, like live tweeting something. <laughs> like live, tweet, live tweets. But it's hard to, it, I mean, it's really hard to tell, but it's fun to have fun with that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, could you imagine like the real house, I, the real housewives of, you know, of, ancient Athens or, you know, like I, I really yes. think that Andy Cohen needs to make that one of his next franchises. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, that'd yeah. Be awesome. that, that would be totally watchable. <laughs> I know. I mean, I feel like that would be a way more fun. Not fun. I mean, the real housewives has their appeal, but I feel like that would be definitely more all I would find it more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Screw everybody else. I'll yeah. find it more interesting. <laughs> well, I, mean, I can only say I can only speak for myself on this kind of stuff. I don't. I mean, I have definitely have my, my reality TV guilty pleasures, but um, you know, I know that like you know, resurrected zombies of ancient leaders, whether you know murderers or you know populists or both, um, would probably be. A, an improvement upon the Real Housewives of anything. <laughs> Absolutely. So, although the Real Housewives of Atlanta is pretty of Atlanta is pretty entertaining, I do have to say, I accidentally caught the reunion. And I was the <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> with finger yeah. quotes. Yeah. Flipping yeah. through channels, I, the batteries I, went dead on the remote, and uh, it was just stuck there. Lost Brooklyn. I am. Yes, it was sort of accidental, but it was really entertaining, and I get why people like it. I mean, I have my own reality shit, like. Not my own because I'm don't star in a reality show. But I, <laughs> <laughs> the life and times of a twenty something in publishing. Like I'm not really sure what that would entail, but it's not would not be that exciting. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. It's not. Well, I'm glad that someone. It sounds like you would find it entertaining, which I'm really glad would be the case because I'm. You know, I would need you know sponsors and that fun stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. we do have a really great sponsor. We do the American Association of Whiskey Peeps. So, yeah, exactly. uh, they're pretty amazing. And I love ancient alcohol. I mean, I love. I mean, well, everyone kind of. Well, because that, that's a really random statement, but I swear it has context. <laughs> So I recently had the good um, the good fortune to go to the Penn Museum and it's part of uh, University of Pennsylvania. It's in Philadelphia, and there they um, they do a ton of stuff based exhibits in the ancient world, and they're really really wonderful people. So if they're listening, which hopefully they will be, they are awesome. And thank you guys for showing me around the museum. One of the exhibits that they have. Um, going on now is about King Midas and there was this Sweet. amazing ancient tomb 150 more than 150 feet high it's called a tumulus which is basically just like a, a giant hill that's um, artificially made kind of like a tell in um, it's the same thing as a tell in uh, in the Middle East that's mm -hmm. um, basically just like mounds of dirt whether of a habitation or artificially um, basically just built up for, you know, monumentality purposes. Mm -hmm. This giant tomb, this, like, one big chamber that was under 150 feet of dirt, basically. And it was this tomb of this Iron Age, presumably king, found at this really uh, prominent city in ancient Turkey called Gordian. And that's where the mythical King Midas is supposed to have lived. There's a lot of stories around, surrounded, uh, surrounding him, obviously, with his golden touch and his 
gold member, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, if he has the gold touch. I mean, you know that his member yeah. is definitely gold. Powers, my bad. But, um, what was really interesting is that, so um, Penn did all um, excavations starting, I think, you know, decades and decades ago. And so they have this fascinating exhibit about this giant tomb was called Tumulus MM that was found that was, I believe from the eighth century BC. And it's probably not the King Midas that we all know and love, but what was really interesting is there was this giant funeral banquet and it was probably like, actually like the nobles of the kingdom probably ate and drank um, at, um, before this guy was, you know, lowered into this, you know, 150 foot tomb. I don't know exactly how, um, you know, they built on top of it or Lord knows how that um, construction sort of went down. But the um, all of the banquet dishes, the tables, the cauldrons, everything was buried with him. So he's, there's not actually a single piece of gold that was, well, correction, I don't remember if there was any gold, but primarily bronze, you know, like basically cauldrons, um, goblets and things to drink out of. Um, were buried with him, which is really interesting given the whole, you know, Midas and the gold touch thing. But point being is that um, this amazing bioarchaeologist named Dr. Pat was able to take, um, was able to take a look at what was actually found in these glasses because people actually, or these um, goblets, because people actually use them at the final big kind of like blow up, blow up. Blow out. <laughs> we, we got what you meant. Yeah. Right um, and he was gay because it's not like he was like finally getting his hair blown out for the last time. <laughs> um, he was able to analyze the sediment of the drinks that were actually drunk. And um, together with Dogfish Head Brewery, he was able to, they now put out a line of ancient inspired beers. It was like this combination Sweet. of, I think, like honeymead, wine, mm-hmm. and something else that sounds really gross, like in and of, like in its basic recipe. But um, this bioarchaeologist, together with actual brewers, put together this really delicious beer based on an 8th century recipe that was actually drunk at a funeral banquet for what was probably one of the most, you know, a very, very prominent ancient ruler in And didn't Turkey. they, they called it Midas Touch, I've had it. And, uh, yeah, what did you think of it? I personally did not like it, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. it was it, It's a different, it was a very unique flavor for a beer, but I get it. It's an ancient recipe, you know, and yeah. I'm used to drinking modern era beers, yeah. you know. <laughs> Stuff that hasn't sat in a clay pot for months <laughs> and, and wait for natural right. yeast to fall. You need to tell me that's not how you drink your beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. That's real hipster. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but like it was definitely different because I watched, um, they, they had that television show where they um, yeah. they talked about it and then they did like the, the whole unveiling of the beer and it was really interesting and I was like, oh man, I really want to try this beer and then I didn't and I just felt disappointed. <laughs> but, you know, every now and There's again. There's been a couple of cases of that where they've like taken and scraped ancient yeast yeah. off of pots and used that yeast and, and bred a strain that they made beer out of. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not super uncommon, but I haven't heard of this, this doghead fish brewery, uh, doing the, the Midas. Dogfish, dogfish head. head. Yeah. Yeah. Which in and of itself is a really interesting image because which end is the fit, which like to so the dog is, is the head, the fish or the dog? I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> it's the head dog is the fish. Hmm? I think the head's the fish. Oh, that's 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 disappointing. <laughs> yeah, they have a dogfish, right? Because they have catfish, so I figured they just had a fish that was like the dogfish, yeah. and they cut off its head. Well, now I'm gonna like have it's... to look this up on my cell phone. <laughs> now we're all doing research. 
what I thought was particularly interesting is that they now have like it a looks line of like a shark. A shark? Yeah. Cool. That no works. It's it's way less way less flashy than we thought. Yeah, yeah it, it is it is actually pretty boring, but I mean it, it's a really great brewing company. They do a lot of uh, really yeah. good beers. Um I'm a a beer snob, so uh, I drink. know very little about beer in the modern world. I can tell you quite a bit about ancient Egyptian beer, but I so I am I like I just know if it tastes good, I like it. Well, there you go. <laughs> that, that is all that matters. <laughs> but so I always like try and listen when people like you guys who obviously know what you're talking about when it comes to beer and spirits. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> you, you are like connoisseurs. You know I haven't the slightest clue. I know if it tastes good because that is something that my taste buds can tell me. But other than that, modern, I have no idea. I always no. just refer to Dev. I'm like, Dev, what should I drink? <laughs> tell me what to drink. I don't know. What is like the go-to shot of history? Is it just like straight up shot? I know you guys are big whiskey fans. Is there like a, like a go-to yeah. brew, if you will? <laughs> oh, pretty much whatever I find in my can, then I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Dev always brings over stuff for gin and tonics, yep. and he's yeah, got his uh, he's like his a professional rye. Um, he's like a portable mini bar that he carries with him to the show. I was gonna bring something fancy, but I got sick, so I'm just drinking oh, yeah. Crown yeah. Royal whiskey, and you're drinking Southern Comfort. Yeah. Well, I had a like a little thing of um Ooh. of uh, Fireball. Fireball. So I'm like, hell yeah, Fireball, because I'm drinking like hard, um, hard root beer. So I'm like, this is gonna taste good. And then I found some Southern Comfort in my cabinet, in the liquor cabinet, and I'm like, there's no expiration dates. So it's and it's still, still sealed. sealed. <laughs> it's still sealed. Yeah. So it's gotta be good. So. You know, what? whenever there's not an expiration date on something, that's just like a hug from the world. I mean, <laughs> awesome. you know what? Because I mean, I can tell you, like living in New York, it's I mean, everything is so ridiculously expensive. If you're listening to me, housing department, I love I love the city, but I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. But so um, one thing that I did recently that was really fun is I like looking sort of at the ancient equivalents of stuff that. Um, or historical equivalents of stuff that we do today. So I was on, I just was ordering takeout from Seamless and I was thinking to myself, well, what is there, was there ancient takeout? And I was like, this, this is basically how I start writing articles because um, I write um, as the ancient history, ancient and classical history expert for about.com. But then I also um, write a lot of articles for this great new website called History Buff that's really up and coming and they're wonderful. Sweet. And so this is how a lot of my thought processes are. Like, what if this was in the ancient world? What would we do with it? Or what did people do with stuff like this? So I started like I started just kind of going down the Google rabbit hole. And that's how a lot of my research starts. But, you know, I always try and I always do a lot of research and, you know, do a lot of inline linking to places where people can read more specifically. And the great thing about Twitter is that there are so many people that can either direct you to research or are doing those particular research on those particular topics themselves. So I had gone to a great conference at NYU about food in ancient Rome. And so I seem to remember something about like ancient snack shops being a thing. And so I looked, I took notes because I'm a giant nerd and I took notes and I remembered like I started to sort of put all these puzzle pieces together and I reached out to some historians and said like, Hey, do you have pictures of this? And it ended up coming together to be a really fun article. And anyone interested in hearing about the origins of ancient takeout? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So in, in Rome in particular, um, people lived in like, imagine New York city apartments, but 
like you know think like you know 1900s and like slums and really bad i mean it, it was it was bad i was there were some studies on like ancient so like detroit really yeah like yeah. people <laughs> dump their feces out the window you know so yes, and detroit. That's, oh yeah, yeah those ancient <laughs> are my favorite where there's like feces flinging and there's i mean like ancient graffiti which i would love to get into in a second because those kinds of like i think the poets uh, marshall and juvenile are places like where they talk about that like basically like, watch out and make sure you look up because there's like there's gonna be a shit storm <laughs> a, a legit <laughs> shit storm out the window. i don't know so that we, looking up is really the best <laughs> just like watch out because you have to make sure because there is stuff coming down so people in rome in particular because you know it grew over the you know seven hills and there are more than seven hills but you know over time you the only place as as, in, as today, the only place to go was up. And so people lived in apartment blocks called insulae. And insula is the Latin word for islands. So they were really just crammed together in like, you know, think like tenement, but, you know, like as bad as it gets. There really wasn't enough room for people, let alone basic kitchens. So again, like, you know, the higher you go up, and you were talking multi-story, not like 20 stories, but, you know, maybe like five, you know, impressive so yeah. you know the, the higher and everything was a walk up and so you know the higher you went up the cheaper the apartments would be but the less room you'd actually have for people or kitchen space and the last thing you want in a flimsy you know tenement where you know chances are the vig the vig um well they'd be wiggles if you technical latin because you print the v is pronounced as a w but the vigilas who were basically like police slash firefighters aren't going to be coming to every building you know they're not you know, they're not like our, the firefighters were, you know, everyone, everyone's kind of appointed, you know, or they're doing their jobs, really. There were vigilas for every kind of area, but, you know, there's only, we're only so many. So the last thing you'd want to be doing in a flimsy, not fire safe apartment, you know, high up would be cooking with a stove, not to mention you really have no room and you probably have a lot of people crammed to each room. So out of this sort of really, I guess, anti-stove culture which is not a really good term but <laughs> this is where the hot plate came things. from yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no offense to, like the stove industry but you know 2000 years ago there wasn't any room for stoves as i'm looking around you know like there's barely room for my stove <laughs> so people would have to go out and buy prepared food so you'd either go out and eat it at like a local snack bar which is what's called a capana or a taberna and you'd bring it home so there was this really fast especially in Pompeii and Herculaneum there's a lot of really great there are a lot of really amazing um examples of um of Tabernite that survive and you could they have this really characteristic sort of like just looks like a bar um this characteristic L shape um that survived and there were storage jars and there's still some residue in the storage jars of course in Pompeii there's a lot more of this kind of stuff because it was preserved and um, they sold everything from, you know, like foodstuffs. There were indoor food markets. There were street um, hawkers. But we don't really have evidence of that because no one left stuff behind. And there are some indications that were there were basically like snack shop chains, like ancient Chipotle. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and it's so interesting because they all sort of had the similar L-shaped bar that is really, really common throughout a lot of um, – a lot of cities and in particular was found a lot in Italy, but it's like the local watering hole. So you go there after work 
Um, they might, might be on like the first floor of your apartment building. Cause you know, if you're rent, if the landlords are renting out the first floor, they want the business and the most, what's going to be, you know, easily, most easily accessible to people. It's going to be what's on the first floor. So they want what's going to be making the most money to be on the first floor. So, you know, you'd probably pick up your dinner or, you know, grab a glass of wine before you went home after work at this local snack shop. So it's like having a Starbucks in the basement of your building, except wine and more fun. (laughs) And there were just like walk-up counters and there were big, you know, storage jars. You could get dried goods. You kind of get anything. And people, there's some evidence of writing menus on the wall. Um, Although that is, you know, that it depends where, you know, which source you're reading. But, um, you know, people, there's a really great note at this one bar in Pompeii about someone drew a cartoon about a love triangle and someone at another bar just basically wrote, I screwed the, I screwed the barmaid. And I was like, <laughs> yes. So it's a very long-winded way of saying like that all of this kind of, you know, like pub culture that's was like you, one might think is more of a modern thing is com- was completely present in the ancient world. Awesome. Wow. People have always needed to get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always been a need for it. So, and you know, it, to eat awesome foods that you don't have to cook. Right. So. Yeah. I know. And it makes me feel so much better about looking at my takeout bill because <laughs> I mean, although in theory I do have a stove, you know, like there's not, not, I'm not the only person throughout history that has not wanted to cook. And if I want to order on seamless because someone can, you know, and I want to, you know, tip them generously and everything. Like I just, you know, look at the Romans and think, you know, when in, when in, when on seamless do as the Romans did. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> It's a very weird way of looking at things, but I try and, I mean, maybe it's more just me trying to justify me. Yeah, it makes you feel better yeah. about what you've just done. So does. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better, just do it. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, and then, you know, I love, you know, ancient graffiti, which, you know, most of it is, a lot of it is like, is just beyond dirty. And again, Pompeii is a really wonderful source for this kind of stuff. There's a, um, Brian Harvey from uh, org, which is one of my, it's a really good site. This is all things Pompeii has compiled this amazing list of graffiti. And it's the, one of my favorite things to talk about when I, you know, like if I give a talk or I have this a lecture series that I've given at this local um, sort of like the learning annex, but cooler and more fun <laughs> um, <laughs> called uh, the Brooklyn Brainery that I give a talk called Game of Thongs on like everything sexy in the ancient world. Uh-huh. And I always talk about like ancient, basically like ancient porn, ancient graffiti. And it's really fun because people just basically like saying like, I fucked the barmaid and it's like, it's wonderful. <laughs> I can see that being uh, popular. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. And especially because I mean, there are explicit drawings. There are, I mean, there's also like really like, it's it's just so weird you know like it, it there's you know you had there's the image i think was augustus said something or was supposed to have said something like you know i found rome a city of i think it was brick and i left it a city of marble well as mary beard points out in her book spqr that really wasn't the case the the he did add some marble you know stuff here and there but the rome that we really think of as being marble is, is a product of you know the later centuries and you know, so that kind of austere image of Rome is something that I think 
got, you know, with the occasional, like, you know, the people in power were scandalous and they had sex, but, you know, Rome itself was a city of virtuous people. Not at all. It was just. <laughs> the poor people were having sex too. <laughs> people were just as horrible as people can be today. I mean, you know, it, but, you know, there is there, I mean, you know, you that I guess we feel, I feel like there's this really, the popular image of Rome is this very austere image and for me i kind of just like like i love poking holes and i'd be like no look they're actually really just there's there's sex everywhere uh, yeah i i never thought that rome was like i i really yeah. thought that rome was kind of dirty and and uh See, i indulgent. like the way you think yeah i've never i've never I just had imagine that picture there's of a, rome a guy on the corner they'd be like hey kid i'll uh carve you up a real sexy lady here it's gonna take about six weeks and now now you think like back to when we had dial up and kids are like oh it's gonna take five minutes to download this porn <laughs> there is actually i forget which statue there's a really great greek statue it's one of the venuses i can't remember which one of course but Basically, there's an implication that it was so beautiful that this guy hid out in the sanctuary and just and anally raped the statue because it was such a gorgeous. <laughs> wow, so gorgeous! And that it was is one some of dedication. Such a, one of the Venuses, of and like, and there was supposed to have ever after have been like a semen stain on the statue on the marble, and I was like. <laughs> So you ruined adults. a perfectly good thing. Yeah. Semen. Come on. Come on, guys. Stop ruining things with your semen, okay? So, like, like after it closed, you just kind of came off as a hammer and chisel and chiseled a hole real quick and kind of just had at it or what? You know, I don't know the mechanics of it, but I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, just, you know what? I mean, let's try not to think of the mechanics. <laughs> How does this whole thing work? I mean, I I just for research. Yeah, Trico is going to do this later with some kind of statue. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of fine oh, no, statues I... in the Detroit area. Chiseled a hole, <laughs> threw, threw some uh, stone in his pant leg, walked out like Andy Dufresne oh, over the God. course of months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fuck that statue. <laughs> like that was a legend, but yeah. you know, I mean, I figure, you know, I just. I mean, you mean you guys have never seen a statue that's just so beautiful that you've been inspired to go up and like? <laughs> no, no, no. no. There's only like stolen statues in my basement. <laughs> yeah, they're all like the only one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's basically like an ancient blow-up doll, and which I think is brilliant. Except, except for you know, much more uncomfortable to yeah, yeah. try to harder. actually have sex with. Yeah. I would think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how the logistics of it but i hope for that guy's sake that like someone had some ointment afterwards <laughs> <laughs> like that can't have been comfortable that no really, it just walks all. out <laughs> totally worth it <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, the funny thing is that the, you know the pygmalion and galatea story of you know the statue that turns into uh he wish he prays to aphrodite that the statue this beautiful statue turned to woman and it does um I like that's such a fun weird twist on what was probably a really well-known story in the ancient world that I love to think that there was some uh ancient writer that's just like what would make this weirder this guy already <laughs> wished that the statue would turn into his wife and she did but then he like it's but like it's like well what if she didn't turn into a statue and he was still really into it it, it didn't make a difference yeah <laughs> I just what like to think of like all of the bad you... puns that can be made on that subject. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Um, 
Yeah, I just, oh man, I love, but so I love that you guys, like your thought wasn't like ancient Rome, high and mighty. Cause for some reason that was always my impression. Like before I even <laughs> yeah, started well, no. these kinds of things and being like, actually, no, ancient Romans used like, you know, our version of like um, the way we have like sponges on sticks, like when you can use in the shower. Mm -hmm. oh, oh yeah, yeah. 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 They used that as toilet paper. It was called a xylospongium. <laughs> and it was occasionally disinfected by using vinegar. But occasionally. It was... <laughs> once, once a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, there's a great um, Seneca, the philosopher's and playwright Seneca. It's called, <laughs> there's a great let, um, like just passage that he has where he's contemplating the best way for a guy to commit suicide because you know that's what you do when you're a philosopher you talk about <laughs> of course so Everything. this act um and i had uh he mentions that one example of a german gladiator choking himself to death by using one of these sponge sticks not to mention that like you know hygiene or what i mean i guess like if you're that if that's where you're at you're, it's not <laughs> primary concern if you're gonna kill yourself you don't care if you have shit on your face <laughs> you're just like well either i'm over. gonna i'm either gonna suffocate yeah. to death or i'm gonna die of some <laughs> weird infection <laughs> I mean, yeah because i figured even if the guy didn't choke himself to death he probably there's something that you know would have um you know, like a super bad case of pink eye that just yeah, took yeah. him out. You know, <laughs> like pink throat. Oh god! I mean, you know, like, but there really we don't. There isn't a ton of evidence beyond like a couple, you know, mentions. And if you ever look um, for these kinds of things, you know, we know that they existed. But um, and actually, Caroline Lawrence, who's a really wonderful um, writer, and she writes. Uh, she's a, a British historical fiction writer who writes um, stories set in ancient Rome for kids. And I wish. And young adults, and I only wish that she had been writing stuff when I was a kid because I would have read everything she ever wrote. She, I follow her on Twitter, and she mentioned these sponge sticks, and she's really has done, made like a recreation of them, and has mentioned them. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So shout out to her because she is the one who turned me onto the side of spongy. I'm not for use, <laughs> but in terms of studying, <laughs> um, oh, you gotta check out this sponge on a stick, man. <laughs> she she mentioned. I saw her mention that one day, and I was like, this is fascinating and that's one of the many many reasons i love twitter is because there are so many historians out there that are sharing their finds that are just like look at this weird thing that we found yeah. and everyone it's just everyone's geeking out together and everyone's really welcoming of people just kind of pitching in or just commenting and you know, like oh that's really cool or that's weird or what the fuck well, there's, a, there's a whole twitter account called whores of yore that it's you, all about are you, are you kidding me no no it's it's like it's a twitter account of just like old school whores <laughs> like victorian oh, era and like God. on back yeah wow. it's great it's awesome. funny i need to get on that yeah like right now <laughs> that is amazing thank you and i'm going to follow that <laughs> like i love that kind of stuff it's just yeah. like you didn't i mean that kind of i mean i in particular i'm really passionate about uh I, so I went to Barnard, which is uh, the Women's College of Columbia University. So there's Columbia's um, – before Columbia was um, um, allowed women in, there was Barnard, which is the um, the female equivalent. And then even after they went co-ed, Barnard still exists as a separate institution within the larger Columbia umbrella. So Barnard is, like, fiercely, fiercely feminist. And so one – and as am I, and I think that – um, one of the things that I really got from studying there was a desire to 
let the women of the past tell their stories. And I think that so often, you know, there can just kind of be like, oh, there are horrors, but like, well, what, you know, I love to think about, you know, try and research these women, what their lives might have been like way, you know, as much as we can let them, re you know, as much information as there is on their lives as possible and just kind of letting that speak for itself. You know, it's tough because with the sources that we have that were written about them were written by aristocratic, you know, white men and and you know these in most of these you know greek sources so how much we're gonna of reliable information we're gonna get about them is really gonna be you know next to next to none but i think that you know with but you add archaeology and, and a lot of um good research and historical fiction writing as well has been done on bringing their lives to the fore and i think that that's a lot of fun to imagine um to kind of to let them emerge and i think that um you know, I, whether it's, you know, courtesans or queens or whomever, I love, you know, kind of allowing women of the past to emerge from obscurity. And I think that that, I find that kind of stuff a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, uh, it's a very, uh, very interesting yeah. rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a completely different rabbit hole from like the, you know, dirty, sexy stuff. And that's like, it's like a complete 180 because that's like you know actual people versus just like toilet paper you know, it's completely <laughs> different and meant to be completely different by the way i don't you know lump those in the same category i just you know like find, i find in completely different reasons find them both really interesting and there have been a lot of you know i think that there have been a lot of you know whether ancient queens or um you know just women's stories that I've, you know, will write articles about. And I find, I think really resonate with people, whether it's um, some of my favorite. So, you know, there's been a lot, you know, you, you, when you think of Queens in the ancient world or powerful women, who do you guys think of? All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Join us next week as we continue our chat with the dirty, sexy historian, Carly A. Silver.